Hi, welcome to Clitterly Speaking, the podcast. I'm Michelle Doherty. And I'm Emily Lane. We are BFFs dedicated to bringing you conversations between girlfriends over a bottle of wine. Oh, I am so excited about the wine part. Oh, me too. So pull up a chair, grab your glass, and let's get talking. Hey, hey, Emily, how are you today? (laughs) I'm great. I am so glad to be back here in the studio with you. We have great wine, another amazing woman at our table that I cannot wait to hear more about. And uh, yeah, I'm actually excited to drink this wine out of a real glass today. Oh, you are, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Are you are you passing yeah. judgment on my uh, my little casual you know? dinner last night? <laughs> Listeners, when you have 10 people over for a casual dinner and it's kind of like a potluck and you don't want to do a whole lot of dishes, I mean, I'm okay with serving wine in plastic go cups that I've collected from the Lake of the Ozarks. <laughs> Anybody else? I don't see why that's yeah, a problem. Yeah. But Emily seems mm. to think that the actual vessel for your wine impacts how it tastes. It makes a difference. I mean, you know what? I, as as you would put it, Michelle, I got my big girl panties on last night and I drank wine out of a plastic cup. A plastic to-go cup from a yeah. Lake of the Ozarks bar. Of I course, did. you know. I made it work. I'm glad. I'm glad to, you know, bring some culture into your life. <laughs> you know, what's marvelous, though, is that those wines that we were drinking last night, I have since had the joy of now tasting them in a real Glass and like, it's quite a pre- an impressive glass stemware. Yeah. Emily loves loves really cool stemware. I, I have a I have a problem, but I, that's you know. another episode. That's a whole other podcast. We'll, we're going to bring in the invention intervention people on that. But anyway, tell but us it, about the wine we're having it's today. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I found the wine to be impressive last night, even in a plastic cup. So if that is your vessel of choice, go for it. But today we are actually drinking out of you know. I like Polish crystal. So we're drinking out of Polish crystal. But I didn't know uh, it was Polish crystal. Yes. But yes I, wow. There it is. So today we are drinking a, a wonderful Cote de Roussillon. This is from a very southern region of France. It's like in the Pyrenees. It's like almost in Spain. It's right okay. there. So it's. I've it, been there. You have. Mm-hmm. That's our guest, Dr. Yes. Becky Lynn, right there, <laughs> chiming in. I want to hear all about oh, that. Oh yes, it's a it's a it's a beautiful region mm-hmm. and um, wine country. Oh my gosh, I love Southern France. I actually have hopes to end up there someday. That's part of the game plan. Well, so. you put it out there in the universe; it'll happen. Well, yeah, I think we need to do uh, visit the wine country and do podcast. some podcasts there. We'll sure. start doing them. Sure, Yay, yeah. that's Let's great. All go. Yeah. So this particular wine, it's a Syrah and um, Grenache blend. It's an old vine um, Grenache. It's really nice. It's called Bastide Miraflor. And of course, we will do as we always do, and we'll make sure to share this bottle with you. It is a 2015. This is impressively good for the price. You can get this bottle for $15. And I'm telling you, it tastes easily like it's a... $25 bottle. <laughs> uh, you're going to get some really nice blackberry on this, a little mulberry, some black pepper. I get a little mintiness like rosemary. Every pellet's different. I, I suggest give it a go. What do you ladies think? Well, as our listeners know, my palate is not nearly as sophisticated and developed as Emily's, but it's getting there. 
you know, this is a big girl panty wine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is like, you know, this is a grown-up wine. This isn't your $3 bottle that you got at Aldi's, you know, anything like that, that, you know, Definitely you need not. to pour it and drink it within 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. I actually feel older and more mature right now, <laughs> and I've had one sip. Hopefully not too old. No. Well, you, you know. know. I mean, yeah. it was really good, though, last night in my plastic cup, so I'm glad to know about so that. Cheers, so cheers, ladies. Yeah. Let's give this a try. Cheers. Yeah. Let's see what Dr. Mm-hmm. Dr. Lynn has to say. About the wine? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it's delicious. And I was thinking to myself, it's a nice break from the cabs and pinots that my husband drinks. So that's mm-hmm. all we happen to have in our house at all times. Are they American cabs and pinots or do you go old world and go mm, Mostly and- American. Okay. But yeah, this is a nice sort of step away from the mm-hmm. old normal routine. Right, right. So you were in southern France. How long ago yes. was this? So I was there in 2013, and we stayed in Coulier, which is just right north of Spain. And we—do you want to hear this whole story? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I want to really, hear the story. Sure. So um, I'll, I'll try and shorten it. But when I was a kid, I had gone to summer school on the East Coast. I did Harvard summer school. And there were a lot of Europeans there because of the name. Everybody sends their kids. It was really extension school. Nothing. You, you didn't have to get in. Anybody could go. You write your check. You could go. But anyway, one um, guy that I met there, Pierre, you know, go yeah. figure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he was from Paris, but his family had a house in Coulier. So then after summer school was over, he came to my house in Los Angeles. That's where I'm from. And then he invited me back to stay with his family in their summer home. And he had a girlfriend. Like, this was totally platonic, nothing, mm-hmm. you know, weird. But I thought it was a really, really cool exchange. So I spent the summer in Coulier in like 92 or something crazy like that. And then my family and I were trying to to pick like a really amazing trip and spend a long time in Europe. And we wanted to do that because I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And we're like, mm. okay, live for today. Right. Where are we going? And we're spending mm. a month there. So we picked Coulier out of the blue. And I actually tried to reach Pierre and I couldn't find him. Oh. Like we had stayed in touch for a long time, then I couldn't find him. But we picked Coulier for that reason, just because I remembered it as being oh such a neat. It is, and if you if you love art, yes. that's where like <laughs> Matisse went to paint. And Dali is oh, from so like... Oh, so is this on the eastern side of... Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, the eastern side. Mm-hmm. Like Dali, um, his initial family house was in northern Spain, right south of the French border. So if you like art, that Coulier was such an amazing, quaint little beach town. My kids could run around. It was just great. Oh, my gosh. Yes. We'll try to have a link we, to the yeah, Google Map section of yes. this area on our website. Uh, Dr. Linwood, did you go before you were finished treatment or after treatment or like in the middle of treatment? Um, it I was mean, after treatment. After treatment. Yes. Once I was done with treatment, like that was one of the first things that I was like, okay, kids, where are we going? Wow. Let's go How do long something ago amazing. was that? Um, so I was diagnosed in 2010. Okay. Yep. And then I had to save the money to go away for four weeks in, right. <laughs> in southern France. And you're, so, and you're cancer-free today? Cancer-free today. That's fantastic. Wonderful. Knock on some wood. Fantastic. Now, you and Michelle met um, mm-hmm. kind of through a cancer story, right, Michelle? Well, yes. Yeah. Yes, I am, as our listeners are aware or not aware, I had colon cancer, diagnosed in 2013, finished my treatment up in 2014. So I, coming up in March, will have five years cancer free after after treatment's all over. 
But as Hooray. yeah, we will celebrate. Yeah, that. Yeah, we'll, yes. yeah, definitely. Well, that, that'll be a podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there'll be a lot of wine, a lot of big girl panties <laughs> on that one. A lot of celebrating. A lot of celebrating, and uh, so. But after chemo, I didn't have radiation, but the chemotherapy for six months, it does a number on your body. And Dr. Lynn had a little sign in my oncologist's um, uh, exam room about a study that she was doing. Or if you had had cancer and you're having like sexual issues and stuff, you know, call the number and, you know, set an appointment. I'm like, yeah, I kind of want to know what's going on because things have changed. And, you know, I feel like I have sandpaper between my legs when I shouldn't Mm -hmm. be like that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just depressed, mm-hmm. um, physiological sy- systems, not necessarily, um, you know, not depression in the in the brain, but more of like right. a physical depression. And so I went to go, uh, made an appointment to see Dr. Dr. Lynn and hit it off and we're talking and she practices at the same practice where I had delivered all three of my kids. Oh, that's perfect. And I had said, um, yeah, I haven't been here since I had a hysterectomy. And <laughs> she looked at me. Why not? I go, well, because I had hysterectomy. Why do I need to still go see a doctor? <laughs> She's like, no, you still need to you do that. You still need to come. I was like, oh, well, I didn't know that. Thanks. So listeners out there, if you've had a hysterectomy, you should still go see your and, and can you help us understand why? I mean, why? Yeah, like what? I mean, I just figured I had no yeah. uterus, I had no oh, cervix. Why, oh, why yeah. do I still need to go? Yes. So you still need a pelvic exam. So, and this is a little bit controversial right now in the GYN field. So you still need a pelvic exam. Somebody needs to look at the outside of the vulva. People get melanomas on the vulva. They can have mm-hmm. lichen sclerosis. Someone needs to look in the vagina. It's not an easy place for you to check out yourself without actually, you know, thinking about physically mm-hmm. getting a mirror. Um, and then someone needs to press on your belly, do a, what we call a bimanual exam, feel for masses. So we're not necessarily doing a pap smear. So if you never had any abnormal paps, ne- never had any precancers that were like CIN2 or greater, um, then you don't need a pap. If you did have those precancerous cells on your cervix before your hysterectomy, that was a level two or greater, then we continue to do PAPs. But otherwise, we don't. But Mm. you still need that exam. And many people get confused between a PAP smear and a speculum exam. And and Mm. I feel like everybody thinks, oh, a PAP smear is where you go and they put a metal speculum or plastic speculum in the vagina and look. But it's not. The PAP smear is actually where we take a sample of cells. We we have a little spatula, a little brush Mm -hmm. that we touch the cervix, which is the, you know, the the opening into the uterus, we touch it, take a sample of those cells, put them in some liquid, send it off to pathologists. They take the cells and look at them under a microscope to make sure that they don't look like cancer cells. Mm-hmm. So pap smear and speculum exam are actually two completely But they kind of go things. hand in hand because you, you need, need the, the speculum, speculum exactly. to do the pap smear. You can't do a pap smear right. without a speculum exam. And, and if anybody can figure out a way. It's going to be a little cold. I always yes. say it's going to be a little cold. You know, though, yeah. I I have gone to an OBG that has warmed um, speculums. We actually have warm ones. Yeah, because yeah. you're female. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You we get it. Tables. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> so uh, we were talking, and uh, so I I told her about my. OBGYN was and and she said, "Oh, I actually took his place. He's retired." And so yep. now um, I go see Dr. Becky. I'm sorry, Dr. Lynn. <laughs> on on an annual basis and uh, when we were talking about the podcast and what we want to do and with it and I'm like, I know the perfect person to have on mm-hmm. to talk about, you know, women's sexual health and, you know, talk about those 
the odd things that are happening or what to look for. Or, right. So, we, so you're not ashamed. And that's one of the great things about Dr. Lynn is that she's not uncomfortable with any question, <laughs> anything. You know, you could ask her and she's like, yeah, you know. And I think that's so, so Good and comforting for women because you're already embarrassed. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh well, you know, I have this possible thing, or or they don't mention it because right. they're afraid there'll be you know judgment. Right? Oh, you right. whore. You know, right? Right? <laughs> you had sex three times <laughs> with those babies. Oh, you know, and of course this is happening to you. You know, and so right. you do not give that kind of demeanor at all. So. What do you think is maybe one of the more common questions that women ask that they're afraid to ask that's just like, oh, this is, you know, Um, something every woman goes through? Well, I think it's more that the problems I treat, women are afraid to ask about or they they think they're the only person with that problem, that something is truly, you know, mortally wrong with them. So painful sex, I see a lot of painful sex. And there's a variety of different reasons that people can have pain. It can be menopause, it could be vulvodynia. But What's for, vulvodynia? So vulvodynia is where you have pain in the vulva, which is the outside of the vagina, and you don't have a reason. So there's no lesion, there's no bliss. There's, you know, everything looks completely normal, but you can just have pain in the vulva. Is that something that happens after, is it something that either you always have this problem or is something that like transpires? Right. So it can be both. Some people will say, you know, I've never been able to wear tampons. I can't wear tight pants because I always feel uncomfortable. They tend to describe it as a burning feeling. Mm. They've been treated, you know, several times for a yeast infection and Mm. they never get better. Or it can be something that pops up after some sort of event like a really bad yeast infection. Mm. And then they itched and itched and itched and scratched and broke the skin. And then now they have constant pain, but they don't have a yeast infection anymore. So it's an external, it's not an internal pain. Yeah, it's a vulvar thing. Okay, yeah, so it's external. An external. Yep. And it also is something that travels with people who have chronic pelvic pain. So there's a variety of different, um, what's the word, like different problems that women can have that tend to travel in packs. So endometriosis, Mm -hmm. interstitial cystitis, which is painful bladder syndrome, irritable bowel syndrome, pelvic floor muscle spasm, and vulvodynia. And sometimes people have fibromyalgia or migraines and anxiety and depression definitely go along with those. Wow. Well, um, so, if you have all of those things, I can see where you would <laughs> exactly. be depressed. Yeah, which came anxiety, first. Anxiety, right? Oh the chicken or the egg. Right. But the key... But you don't have to have all of those. No. Or like no, any no. of those. Okay. People will have maybe one or two, and then somebody else will have a different two. Okay. And the key to treatment is to treat all of the issues, not just one. Okay. Because if you only treat one, they won't get better. Mm. Wow. Mm-hmm. And women historically are afraid to come in and talk about painful sex because they're embarrassed about it or they they don't talk. We don't share. We don't share right. about it. Even right. I mean, we talk about a lot of things over wine and sometimes we'll bring up, you know, some sex, but it is one of those things where we don't, especially as we've gotten older, we just sort of like navigate, mm-hmm. oh, okay, I guess this is what it's like to be menopausal and it sucks. 
And it depends on who you are, too. Some women are very open about their sexuality, and some women are very not open. So, you know, the the older you are, I see women in their 80s who come to me because maybe they have a new partner and they want to be intimate with their partner. But, um, you know, some women have a very hard time talking about it, and other women are like, I'm here because, you know, this is going on, and how can you fix me? And mm-hmm. so it, it's... It's such a broad spectrum of people's comfort level, but I, w- I would say in general, the older you are, the less likely you are to feel comfortable talking about it. The younger women tend to feel more comfortable talking about it, but not everybody, because it has to do with your upbringing. Mm-hmm. It has to do with your religion. You know, it has to do with a lot of things that, and what you were taught by, from your parents about sex. Is it a mm-hmm. negative thing? Is it a bad thing? That and then also, you know, the as far as menopausal women, they tend to have vaginal dryness that causes painful intercourse, but they're not aware that it's related to menopause because it tends to show up about five years after you stop having periods. So we all know hot flashes are due to menopause, mm-hmm. you know, that woman going, whew, it's hot, right. whatever. Yeah. But And those happen right around the time your periods get wacky and then your period goes away. But the vaginal dryness doesn't happen until like five years later. So I will hear women come in and say, oh my gosh, my partner thinks there's something wrong with me. He or she thinks I'm cheating because I don't get lubricated, you know, or what's wrong with me? I'm, you know, and it's... It's very traumatizing. I mean, there are sections of the grocery store and, you know, of Walgreens that mm-hmm. are carved out for lubrication. I mean, clearly yes. there are... Yeah, but I will have to say that as a woman in menopause who has had cancer, has had treatment, who after my... I shouldn't really refer, refer to myself in the third person, but I'll just blame mm-hmm. it on the Grenache. <laughs> <laughs> but I, after the surgery, and I went down to like one ovary, mm-hmm. and I didn't know that the ovaries work every other month, but I they removed one. And so they're like, yeah, it's going to be about six weeks and things will get, you know, back in order. And I was, I, and I literally, it was like sandpaper between my legs. There was oh, yeah. no lubrication. And yeah. it was the worst. And That's I how did, people describe it, sandpaper. Sandpaper. Mm-hmm. And I would never have, cons- I never would think to look at Walgreens at that that section. Oh, really? Because that lubrication, in my mind, was for sex. You need the KY oh, for yes. the, when you're having sex with your partner, you know, you need that extra for sex. Not thinking, oh, that there's products out there to help you with your day-to-day. Oh. Well, well, there's a difference between moisturizers and lubricants, although some can be used interchangeably. So most of those that you see at Walgreens and whatnot are lubricants for use at the, t- for, for use at the time of sex. Yeah. But the majority of them are water-based, and there's usually maybe one or two that are silicone-based. And if you're menopausal and you're not using condoms, you want to go with the silicone-based and not the water-based. The water-based are good if you're using condoms because they don't affect the integrity of a condom. And it sounds funny. People are like, oh, I picked the water-based because it's natural. Well, yeah. cocaine is natural, too. And yeah. It's not good for you. <laughs> so um, That's surprising. I hear silicone, and I'm thinking people have silicone. Chemicals, Alan, right? Right, Yeah, right. no. So, you know, it, and this is for a menopausal woman woman because the the water-based ones they they draw the moisture out of the vagina they really take the moisture away um so i recommend silicone based and if that gives you the heebie-jeebies because it's not natural you can also use olive oil which wow i have to say it sounds so incredible with the olive oil 
Yes, listeners, I've I've experimented with olive oil, <laughs> and I told my partner it was fine to bring the Are olive oil. Are you extra virgin olive oil? I'm an extra virgin. <laughs> I'm an extra virgin olive oil, but I said, please make sure that you bring a big baguette with you. <laughs> 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 and we can dip it. We can dip the big baguette into the olive oil, right? Yeah. And he and and fortunately, he had a very good sense of humor. So right? this is curious to me. So mm-hmm. I, um, I'm just. It's kind of surprised that there's just day-to-day lubrication, even when you're not having intercourse, mm-hmm. that people are missing and have a need to fulfill. So right. So when you have vaginal, we don't people don't people tell don't us talk this. about it. No. Yeah, no, that's why I'm yeah. here. Yeah. Spread the word. Um, that's why we are clearly speaking. Yeah. <laughs> so you can also moisturize the vagina. So lubricant is for during sex and moisturizers are just on a regular basis. Just like, you know, you go to the bathroom, you wash your hands, you take a pump of lotion and you rub it in. So you can do the same thing to the vagina. And there's a variety of moisturizers on the market or you can use Crisco or coconut oil. So that sometimes freaks people out. Like some somebody said to me, well, that's like my fried chicken. <laughs> like, I mean... Yeah, Siri, they were like, well, let's not think about it that way. Coconut oil but, smells but good. But not Vaseline? Um, no, Vaseline isn't really recommended. Okay. Yeah, okay. you can use it if it doesn't irritate you. Okay. You can use anything if it doesn't irritate you. But the things that tend to be the least irritating are like Crisco, solid coconut oil. And just like you would put lotion on your hands, you can take a scoop and put it on the outside of the vagina. You can do it twice a day. You can do it every time you pee. Because women who have like serious vaginal dryness... They feel it when they wipe. Yes. Like it's just dry. Or they're yeah. riding a bicycle and they're like really? dying because yeah. it's so dry. Yeah. You yeah. don't wow. you don't think about it when you're younger. You're, but you're yeah, like, because right. it's like it's just you're like, all the time. Like, wow. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I remember thinking, like, is this normal? Like <laughs> right. how what? You right. know, you right. are, it's all so... about the discharge. Right. When you're younger, yeah. you're like, what is this? Yeah. And now right. you're like, I just want a discharge. Just, I just, know. just <laughs> give me anything, you know? Like yes. can I can I order it on Amazon? Just you know. Some discharge. Now there's an idea <laughs> for all I, those postmenopausal women oh out there. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Having it delivered, you know. A, a, a <laughs> Honey, did my discharge arrive today? <laughs> I think there's no. something here. We're gonna have Sorry, to use dear. a lubricant. <laughs> Break out the Crisco. <laughs> Got the olive oil. Bought the gallon for the gallon can from Costco. <laughs> We're gonna get lucky. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, on that note, I think this might be a really good time for us to take a quick pause and refresh our glasses, and we'll be back in just a moment. All right. All right, we are back. We have fresh glasses. Uh, thank you for joining us at Clitorally Speaking, the podcast. We are here with Dr. Becky Lynn, and we are talking women's health issues. Women's sexual health. That's correct. Yes. Yeah, that's. thank you for adding that. Focusing yes. you on the topic. <laughs> yeah, well, I have had a glass of wine right now, so I, my, my focus is a little fuzzy. But uh, um, Dr. Lynn... Uh, shared a kind of a funny story because we were talking about lubrication and how that shifts for women um, that are in menopause and um, well we'll just let you two carry that on um, well there was a cute story right we were talking <laughs> nobody, nobody's, oh, just, nobody's just joining us because uh, it's not like we're on on live uh, radio or anything like that but uh, we were discussing 
discharge. And I said that for Sam, yeah. our audio engineer, because he was commenting on how many times we had already said that word. But we're yes. talking about that and, and ways to stay lubricated as you get older and you're uh, dealing with menopausal issues. And uh, you were talking about a, yeah. a patient of yours that had come Funny in. Funny comment. So, yeah. you know, I recommend olive oil often as a lubricant. So she came in and she said, Dr. Lynn, I'm tired of being, feeling like a salad. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> she didn't want to use the olive oil anymore. Hey. So Yeah, well, well then, then you transitioned her to some other product or... Uh-huh. The yeah. silicone-based lubricant. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I get no kickbacks from the companies, but I usually <laughs> recommend Platinum Wet or Uber Lube. Um, but if you go on Amazon, there are plenty of different lubricants, silicone-based lubes. That can be lubes. hard to navigate. It really, because there are so many. Yes. Yeah. So, actually, I have a webpage called Women's Central Health. It's not my page, actually. It's a company that does this. But I choose the things that I recommend, and women can purchase from that website. I don't get any money from it. The company gets the money, but then um, 10% of the proceeds go to Gateway to Hope. That's what I've designated as the charity. And Gateway to Hope is a fantastic charity here in St. Louis that provides, um, that pays for health insurance premiums for women with breast cancer who have no health insurance or who are underinsured. And then it also so um, pays like rent, utilities, oh, you know, rides great. to your doctor's appointment, which I think is amazing and fantastic. So that's gateway to hope. That's I mean, oh. it's, it's an amazing. We'll make thing. sure to share a link to that. Yeah, yeah. Because the last thing you want with a diagnosis of cancer is to be like, I can't go to the doctor, or I'm going to have massive bills and financial stress because I don't have insurance. So. Or even if you do have insurance. Still stressful. It's still stressful and you still had massive bills and it's still, I think last year I finally paid off my, I had, I, because of my insurance plan at the time, I was responsible for three of my chemo treatments. So that was about $5,000 total. Oh my gosh. And I I know, finally finished paying that off, but that's a, that's a whole nother podcast and a rant and rave and, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I feel very passionately that, that people with cancer are taken advantage of Mm -hmm. by the system Mm -hmm. because you are facing a diagnosis that could be terminal, could be the end, right? Right. And and you don't want to die and you're just doing everything you possibly can. Right. You're following your doctor's orders. You're going here, you're going there. You're take this test, that test, you know, shoot you up, whatever, you know, and... With and every, you got to do it. And That's you what your doctors do. are saying. Right. Yeah. But at the, at the very, on the other side of that door is the billing department, is the administration, administrative side, and they are ruthless. Mm-hmm. And it is, it, and I don't think it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Well, know? I'm happy to come back and talk about what I think about universal health care and yeah. how we are the richest country in the world, but then we have people who can't go to the doctor because they don't have health insurance or they don't right. because they're afraid of bills. So then there's a delay in diagnosis. So yeah. it drives me crazy. Yeah, and just the cost of health insurance. I mean, mm-hmm. it's astounding. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it doesn't need to be that way. And that's the mm-hmm. thing that's frustrating. I think we all right. agree here that it doesn't need to be that way. But there yeah. are folks that like to keep it that way to keep keep it down keep it down why have everybody be why in the world would we want our country to be full of healthy happy hmm. people i mean where would that <laughs> get us right yeah. i mean that's like a crazy idea well anyway I definitely so. want to have you back to talk about that but you know we we knew that you were coming and mm-hmm. we have a, a a really nice circle of 
amazing women that are friends. And so in preparation for this podcast, we we asked our girlfriends like, hey, you know, Dr. Lynn is coming on. Do you have any question that, you know, you you would love to have answered that maybe you're a little nervous to ask your normal doctor. Mm-hmm. So I have some here and are you are you mm-hmm. ready? As she fans. I'm ready. Okay. Sorry, it's a little hot in here. It is a it little is hot. I was looking hot. for like a magazine. You know what Sam can do to oh, that's okay. Help with we'll the keep going. I'll manage. Well so we have a, a couple of friends of ours are mm-hmm. actually young widows. Mm-hmm. And we have more than one friend that's in this position. And yeah, unfortunately mm, that's sad. And they were like, is there such a thing as vagina sadness? Like, do, can a vagina apathy after a certain amount of time that, you know, you haven't engaged in intercourse? Is this a, an emotional response? Is it physical? Is, is it, it an urban legend? You know. Yeah. Yeah. So the vagina is a use it or lose it type organ. It is. Um, it is. But okay. in a young person who has hormones around, once they start having sex again, it'll just go back to normal. Um, where it really becomes a problem is in postmenopausal women where the vagina without hormones and they're not using it, they're not bringing blood flow to the area, the vagina can get shorter, it can get smaller, and sex can become really painful. There's treatment. There are plenty of things you can do to restore the vagina. You know, oh, that's much better. I feel like <laughs> yeah. We have some Thank air going. You. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. But, All this um, vagina talk. Oh, <laughs> the, whole, <laughs> me the, whole, the whole room was just hot. <laughs> um, but for a woman, even if they haven't had sex in a while, they'll get back into the swing of things. So if they're having regular periods, then we know that their estrogen levels are fine. And, it, you know, the first time may be a little uncomfortable, but they can what get it back pretty What do you consider a young woman? Premenopausal, I would say. Okay. Now, in your 40s, your estrogen levels begin to decline to a point where some women in their 40s, even before their periods go away, start having problems with vaginal dryness. You know, the younger you are, the the quicker you'll get back into the swing of things. When you're late 40s, your estrogen levels are lower. It might take a little bit more time. Or you might need to use an intravaginal estrogen or intravaginal DHEA, which gets converted to estrogen and testosterone, which helps provide lubrication and elasticity. So, you know, one of the things about the premenopausal vagina is... Oh, here's a good thing. So <laughs> premenopausal <laughs> vagina is like the tissue's thick, it's moist, it self-lubricates and it stretches. It has elasticity. And it's got these rugae, which are little folds in the vaginal tissue that help it stretch. So okay. you can have a penis in it and a baby come out. That's what it's right. for. Not at the same time. That's a little difficult. <laughs> not at the same time. The doctors, no. the doctors do I not. I have to tell uh, the guy to move out of my way yeah. so I can catch the baby. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> always, they always want to be first, right? The guys are like, no, no. me first, right? You're like, really? Does it have to be about you today? She's giving birth. Can you just wait? I know. So the postmenopausal <laughs> vagina is very thin, it's dry, and it loses those rugae, those wrinkles. So I always say the is vagina. That can you see that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah on the so speculum. You can exam. see it on the speculum. And some people will see the little rugae and they'll come in and be like, I got a bump there, and it's just the little folds of okay. the vagina. Okay. 
But a postmenopausal vagina loses the wrinkles, those rugae. And so I always say the vagina is the only organ that gets less wrinkled as we age. <laughs> can can that be Not fixed? Fair. Like, I mean, goodness. Like, Absolutely. Women were doing, yeah, I was going to say, like, we could probably inject. Well, why would you want to inject anything wrinkles. into it? Could well, you, I mean, is there a comfort? Well, right? so the wrinkles allow it to stretch, but really all you have to do is give it the hormones back. Okay. Oh. Yeah, you just give the hormones in the vagina. So when you give intravaginal hormones, you don't have a lot of the, the risks that you do if you like like swallow a pill of estrogen and progesterone or estrogen alone risk you know or increased risk of blood clot heart attack stroke breast cancer with estrogen and progesterone together um, but if you use it in the vagina then you just don't have to worry about those risks there's one product that's a pill that is designed to help the vagina lubricate but that has systemic side effects it causes mm. hot flashes it increases your risk for blood clot and stroke so it's not one of my favorites no. So the application of this internal hormone is it mm-hmm. kind of like a tampon? Like so, um, there are different ways you can do it. Well, it's either an applicator or with your finger. So there's a variety of products, and actually, within the last year, there have been two new products, which I'm so excited about because for the longest time, we only had certain options, and they were all very expensive, which was highly unfortunate yeah. going back to the cost of medicine. Mm-hmm. But in the last year, we've come out with um, intravaginal DHEA and a new estradiol formulation, and and the intravaginal DHEA is $25 a month, and the estradiol is $35 a month, which is so reasonable, whereas mm-hmm. some of the older creams that have been around for a long time are like $200 a month. Wow. Well, and yeah. unless you go outside the country to have it come. Yes. And then right. it's yes. like $30 for three months. But yeah. I did try the... Um, the $25 a month one and I was I was loving it and it was like this is the best thing since Bastide Miraflor's red <laughs> wine from the South of France. The, South of France. <laughs> but I found after about using it for maybe a month, mm-hmm. I had a reaction that was similar to years ago when I did the Nuva Ring. And I and I was like, I was fine. Nuva Ring, good, good, everything's fine. Yeah. Oh, it's all good. Then then one day I woke up and I had like I was on fire down oh, there no. between my legs. And the only thing I could do, I like, took the new ring out, and then the, everything settled down, hmm. right? I was like, oh, I must be allergic to whatever's in the new ring or in what they make it. Right. And so it was the same thing. Take the $25 one, use it. Oh, this is good. I'm, I'm, I can pee, and I can walk around. It doesn't hurt. I can sit down. Oh, she's very happy. She's happy now. <laughs> and then I woke up one day, same pain. Oh no! And I'm like, I so I didn't. I haven't used it since because okay. I think there's something in the 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 wax like or the vehicle that it comes in. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's yes. palm oil. The vehicle that it comes in. No, it's I like based do. in palm oil. It's called like. This was the Intrarosa stuff. Yeah, the Intrarosa. Yeah. So I don't know the other thing, the thirty dollars, thirty five dollar one. Mm, and I, I'd that have one's to look, in Vexy. I'd have to look and see. Kind of like I'm sexy. That's where oh, the name came from. In Vexy. Yeah. Um, Cha Ching. Yeah. So I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm going to see you in a couple months. Okay. You know, for my my annual checkup, yeah. and we'll 
But we can chat before if you don't want to wait. Right. <laughs> sandpaper wait is no fun. Yeah. yeah, because all of our listeners out there are so worried about Michelle's <laughs> sandpaper feeling, and they're going to be like, "Did she get? Did she get the thirty-five dollar prescription? Come on, please." I'll report back, listeners. Oh. I will definitely. That will be. Emily will be like, "She's a happy girl. Yeah. She must be. She must have her thirty-five dollar a month prescription." I cannot <laughs> wait to see our Facebook recommendations that come in for people saying, "Oh." Have you tried this lubricant? Or, Michelle yeah. did. Michelle yeah. had this issue. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> as we say here, clearly speaking, the podcast. <laughs> All right. So I have another question for you. Sure. And, you know, this kind of goes back to, I'd say, my early days. I this, this came up at the table the other night, and I was like, oh, I can relate to this question. So it has to do with, like, does your vagina actually, like, take shape of your partner and because I remember like I mentioned this in a previous podcast that Mm. like my first experience was with somebody that was like had a micro penis, right? And then I we, hope he's not then, listening. Right. We we decided we took a poll and a vote, and we did, they said that didn't count. So it it didn't really, count. Yeah, it didn't count as her first time. And then and then you know the next person that I I was with, I was with for a long time, and but it was very painful in the beginning, and and it was my friends were like, oh well, that's because your first guy was so small, and your your vagina like it like. It knew that, you know. So anyway, I'm sure that's a myth, myth, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So does it change size based on who you're with and with exercise and all those things? Mm, Childbirth affects it. So, um, yeah. Did you see the size of my son's head? (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to ask me something else then. (laughs) No, childbirth definitely affects it. You can have vaginal laxity. Don't laugh, but sometimes we call it like a gaping vagina, where if you've had several large children, the opening, which is called the introitus, like if you look at a virginal woman, it's small. And after several children, it's like open, it's gaping. Mm-hmm. So, and some women will complain that they they don't have that friction with intercourse with sex. So it's just gotten too wide and too lax from having a lot mm-hmm. of babies that they don't get as much pleasure out of sex. Right. So, and you just yeah. re- recommend do your kegels? So, I, yes, you can do your kegels, but there has been a couple studies looking at using radio frequency for vaginal laxity. And there is a device called Vivive that has a randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial, which is hard to come by when it comes to some of these devices, that shows that sexual satisfaction and laxity, like women's perception of their own laxity gets better after the radio frequency treatment. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the study was done in Canada and I think it was the, it, there were a couple other sites and they're currently doing that same study in the U.S. I, I believe with the hopes of getting it FDA approved for that indication because, you know, besides Kegels, before the radio frequency device, you could have surgery. Right. But if you have surgery, like you could end up with painful sex just from scar tissue. Yeah. So right. this is, you know, kind of that middle ground. So right. Which we're that's waiting what... patiently for that next trial to come out. <laughs> so surgery, that's the like vaginal rejuvenation. That no. We... So no. the vaginal rejuvenation, it's so vaginal rejuvenation is not a medical term. It's sort of this wastebasket term. And 
if you ask one person, they'll tell you it's one thing. If you ask another one, they'll tell you it's others. But it's sort of a combination of using laser and radio frequency to either treat medical conditions like vaginal dryness, you can treat with a laser, or to make things look prettier. Mm. And so plastic surgeons do a lot of this vaginal rejuvenation. And who is it looking prettier for? Exactly. That's my thing. So here's my theory on that. You know, when I first went into practice, everybody had pubic hair. And over time, people are shaving their pubic hair. And sometimes I get young women that say, I'm sorry, I didn't shave. I'm like, you don't have to shave. (laughs) It's there for a reason. And so now that things are shaved, women are looking and they see, oh, this labia is longer than that labia. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh, something's wrong with me. Or they're embarrassed, you know, or it's, yeah, I mean. Men can be insensitive yeah, about and, the gift that they are receiving. Right, right. And yeah. So and do you think so that that's a, a trend that is problematic? The So I go back and forth because part of me says, oh, come on, you know, we're asymmetric. Some women have one breast that's bigger than the other. If you put a mirror on our face right here, this side of us will look different from this right, side of right. us. But then by the same token, if a woman wants a breast augmentation, do I have a problem with that? No. If it, it's a confidence builder, maybe she, you know, was very flat chested and it bothered her. And so why can't she choose to get a breast augmentation? So why can't you choose to get a labioplasty to make them look even? It's, yeah. I don't know. I mean, does it give them any more pleasure for sex? No, it's I, not for pleasure. Yeah, no. I, I would It doesn't think- give them any more pleasure. At all. What about the hair versus no hair? Do you feel that that is a hair. trend? Yeah. Oh, that's the, definitely a trend. But yeah. then there's a that's, reason God gave you hair. Right. And it helps, you know, prevent infection, provides warmth. I mean, there's a reason that you have pubic hair. But I feel like I'm very biased in that respect a little bit, maybe because I'm the older generation. So I'm like, you should all have pubic hair. Where did it go? <laughs> and, and also... I think, now I'm just going to say this here on your, yeah. your website cause, or your podcast, but what I think is women who are completely shaved look like children. Right. And I find that a little disturbing. Unnerving. A little disturbing. Yeah. And I think part of that comes from the fact that pornography is easily accessible. And I have nothing against pornography. It can be used in a healthy way. It can be used in an unhealthy way. But I just can't help but think that that's where that trend started. Because you definitely see it on pornography. Mm-hmm. Shaved, shaved, shaved. It does to me from the older generation. Oh, I hate to say that. I'm like, it looks like a child. So it does. It yeah. does. And, you know, I'm all for keeping things nice and trim and clean and, and you know, scaped, if you will. Mm-hmm. But if I scissors, sciz- you know, but <laughs> I, it's a complete turnoff for me if I uh, come across, you know, a partner who has shaved. Yeah. And I'm like, I, don't want to be with a little boy. Right. But it's a trend now in men. Well, it is. you know, it is. Yeah. It is. It's just, I wonder how that Well, uh, it makes them look on. bigger. <laughs> oh, yeah. well, okay. That makes more sense then. I never really thought about it that way. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, is it maybe time for one more glass refresh? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, no, this is a, always a good time to, to stop. Yeah. <laughs> Take a break. <laughs> time to have a little glass refresh and we'll, uh, we'll be right back. We're back. All right, here we are. So, um, I have a few more questions if you don't mind, sure. and then we'll just we'll let it kind of 
we'll finish our wine. From there, yeah. yeah. So uh, a friend of ours was talking about how, you know, she's now in her mid-50s and uh, Mm postmenopausal. And she's very physically fit, but yet she's noticing that all of a sudden on her belly, there's this area that's, you know, it's poochy. It looks like there's a scar there. And she was also mentioning... She remembered when she was young and she was, you know, on a beach and she saw this woman who was very attractive, very physically fit. And yet there she was with this this pooch and this scar-like, you know. Near the belly button near, area? Below. 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 And, okay. and she was like, oh, she must have had some sort of operation. But now that she is of this age and this is happening and she's exercising and everything she's doing, she can't get rid of this. Mm-hmm. What is this? And yeah. What can be done? So it's highly unfortunate that when you go through menopause and you don't have a lot of estrogen around, you begin to deposit fat in places that you didn't before. So being a woman and having estrogen, you deposit fat, you know, on your hips, your butt, Mm -hmm. your breasts. And then when you go through menopause, you just don't have as much estrogen around. So now you develop that little pooch. Mm -hmm. It goes right to your middle, just like a guy. Okay. So it's cellulite. Basically, no, no. that scar. Yeah. So, yeah. The, so the scar area, if it's not truly a scar, if there's mm-hmm. never been surgery there, it, it, what I'm guessing that it is, is that fold. Because if you have babies, oh. the skin gets stretched out. And then people will have this little kind yeah. of mm. roll, little roll, yeah. just because you can't make that skin go away once you've been pregnant. I so see. that's kind of, that's my guess. Okay. So... Yeah, there's a there's a oh, well, thickening it's, that it's, happens. It's, it's, yeah. the it's wisdom. Yes, it's, it's the thickening wisdom ring. The, yeah, the wisdom <laughs> ring. Oh, I don't like my wisdom ring. We're not friends. <laughs> I have a wisdom barrel. <laughs> did I tell you? Did you see the size of my son's head? Yeah, he's you know I've had three babies. <laughs> it just means he's really smart. They're very oh, all of my all children very are very very yes. smart. No, yeah. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Have you come across women that have made the decision to have a C section because they were concerned about vaginal preservation? Yeah. So occasionally, I will have a woman come and um, say, "Well, I just want a C section," but then I talk to them about the risk of having a C-section at what it means for future pregnancies. And I discourage it unless they have a medical reason to have a C-section. Now, ultimately, if a woman says, that's what I want, I will do it for her. But I don't think you can make that decision without being completely informed about the risks because... Once you have a C-section, then you have to make the decision in your next pregnancy. Do you want a C-section or vaginal? If you do repeat C-sections and you end up having several kids with each C-section, you create more scar tissue. You can have a placenta that grows into the bladder and you end up with a hysterectomy and then you end up in the ICU and then you get you know, lung problems and sepsis. And I mean, so you, it's not a decision that I think can be taken lightly. And I do feel that once I explain where this is going, most people are like, oh, okay, maybe I don't really want to do a C-section just for a C-section. And there's so many amazing benefits through a natural Mm -hmm. vaginal birth, like Mm -hmm. the, all of the, there's the bacteria, right? Yeah, the bacteria in the vagina and your baby when right. You it, like populates the, right. I, mean, I can't tell you the details Protect, on that one because I don't do that much of obstetrics anymore. Yeah, but it's yes. amazing. Yeah, because yeah. now they're I can't even mention it because I don't even know. <laughs> We're going to get confused. Yeah, yeah, gonna, yeah. Confused. Yeah. yeah, but there's a go- there's a thing called Google out there and you can <laughs> look it up. <laughs> right. Um, anybody who's out there, I I had uh, two vaginal births and one C-section. Mm-hmm. My son, who's 15, he was a C-section, and we I had labored all day. 
Mm-hmm. Was he your first one? He was my third. Oh, he was your third one. He was okay. my third, and, and we had good. induced him a week early because Dr. Blaskowitz was going out of the country, and I wanted him to, you know, deliver him. And I labored all day, Yeah, and he wouldn't stay, he wouldn't stay, he just bounced around, <laughs> he's having a good old time. <laughs> and uh, Dr. B was like, well, we can turn this off and resume this tomorrow, or we can have a C-section. And I was like... Mm-hmm. Get him out. section <laughs> and I'm I'm very grateful that I did because he was born Frank Breach. So like back, butt, and back first. But wait, when you were laboring, he was head down. He would go head down, then he uh, would bounce back up. He was he was a swimmer. He'd he, and and he was nine pounds. Oh, he was big oh baby. My he was a big Lord. baby. Yes, a very big baby. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah. I mean, the C section was was odd. Um, it was an odd. Feeling, right. I felt like I was a tube of toothpaste being like Ooh. squeezed. You know, like when you're trying oh, to get the yeah. last bit out. Yes. I just felt like that's what was happening to me. And my that's mom was like looking over, going, "Well, they got this." And uh, oh. they said hmm. she was like, "Oh, doc, this, his hands really up inside you because William, yeah, that's my son's name. He wouldn't let go of my liver." Oh, <laughs> so they had to go like in and like get his little fingers off oh. my liver and pull him out, and then of course because he didn't go through the vaginal canal, right. they get things squeezed, squeezed out, out of him. The you know, he didn't out, yeah. he didn't cough right away or oh. anything like that, and so they ran him off to the NICU, but he was fine. He he was fine, and um and then I had to recover from a C section, and mm-hmm. that. That surgery recovery was worse than the hysterectomy, worse than my colon cancer to really? recover from that abdominal surgery. Wow. And that was 15 years ago. So, but oh, anyway. Well, it's major surgery. It is major surgery. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and as usual, I like to talk about myself and things I've done <laughs> here on this podcast. All right. I have another question for you, Dr. Sure. Lynn. So I have this awesome book. It's from like 1911. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it talks about the female orgasm. It's a myth. Okay, we all here know no, no, it's the not a myth. Orgasm's not right? a myth. We know this. Thank goodness That's why, for that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I love this book. It's just very like, oh, you know, you, yeah. Anyway, and we, <laughs> so, but I, it got me kind of thinking uh-huh. like, okay. The female orgasm, definitely not a myth. In fact, we can have all kinds of different types of orgasms, right? right? right. There's the clitoral mm-hmm. orgasm. There's the orgasm that's coming from a little bit more on the inside. Mm-hmm. The Vaginal G- penetration or fingering. Right. Mm-hmm. So w- what is actually happening there? Are there multiple spots that induce this kind of pleasure? And, and, and what is, there's debates, like what is the fluid? Like if there's somebody that oh, has the yes. G-spot orgasm, like, what is that? Oh, okay. she squirted. I'm like, what the right. hell? Right. Yeah. So, okay, so a couple questions Science. to answer here. So typically there are two main types of orgasm that women have. One is from clitoral stimulation and one is from vaginal penetration or fingering. And and part of the reason that there's a variety of these is they're all clitoral orgasms. So the clitoris that you see, the little nubbin that you can see mm-hmm. or feel yourself is only a fraction of the clitoris. So the clitoris extends back it extends along the anterior vaginal wall. So like kind of the the vagina is like a long hollow tube, kind of the top of the tube towards your belly button. And then it extends around the introitus. So most women can have a clitoral orgasm. Fewer women can have a vaginal orgasm, like from vaginal penetration right. with anything. Only, yeah. um, and part of that is because you can 
touch the clitoris directly where it is externally. Whereas, you know, vaginal, you don't have that direct connection to the clitoris. But so then they talk about the G spot, right? So they've done studies where they've like dissected cadavers and looked at the tissue where we think this G spot is. And is there's no difference. There's no like little button up there that <laughs> right. says press here. <laughs> you know, like there's no actual G spot. But the thought is it's an H actually. It's the H spot. <laughs> it's the wrong. It's the wrong letter right, exactly. of the alphabet. Yeah. <laughs> no. Do you think they designed that? Like this whole myth and theory is to make a woman feel inadequate because she's not having a vaginal orgasm. No, because I mean, a, what I think about the G spot is that you know it's the an- the anterior vagina has some of the clitoris. Uh Um, And then there's a lot of talk about the female prostate, where women don't really have a prostate, but surrounding the urethra and that clitoral area, that's when when you talk about squirting, right? So it's kind of like fluids that... You know, some people say that G-spot encompasses the female prostate, the glandular tissue that makes secretions. Okay. Okay. And so when women talk about squirting, um, some women can actually ejaculate sort of prostatic fluid because we're all all the same. If you are XY, those same tissues, we all start out the same. Right. If you're XY, you form a penis and a prostate. If you're female, you form a clitoris, which is analogous to the penis. Right. And then this female prostate, this it has similar functions. It's just not like an actual prostate. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you squirt, you can have prostatic fluid that you squirt. But some women also leak urine when they have an I orgasm. See. They lose their bladder control. So it's hard to tell if you are a true squirter or if you're just leaking urine. But one way that you can tw- you can tell is to use um, the py- pyridium that you can get over the counter that turns your pee orange. Uh-huh. So if you squirt and it's orange, <laughs> it's urine. urine. Yeah. But what does it matter if you're it enjoying it? It doesn't matter right? at all. It matters <laughs> nothing. experiment tonight. I mean, okay, I I've got this little thing I want to try. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, and then like everybody's let down. Oh, you just been peeing on me all this time. Because <laughs> I have noticed. I, thought I was mean, like this great lover making you squirt, and you just been peeing on me. <laughs> <laughs> but I have noticed. But like, most women don't squirt. Ha- having a full, like a bladder that's like a mm-hmm. little full. Like I've noticed, like I can More orgasm mm-hmm. easier. Oh you wow! Know? Yeah. So me, on the other hand. If I have to pee, that's yeah. all I think of. Oh, yeah. I, I, I would say I'm the I, same too. I'm I like, pee. I can't have sex with a full no. bladder. I'm like, sorry. Because I I'm think like, you're sorry afraid we're of stopping. Peeing. Gotta go pee. <laughs> <laughs> this is not gonna be fun for me because I have to pee and I'm gonna worry, but I'm gonna pee. This is not good. Not good at all. And he's like, what? But sorry. I mean, sorry. come on. Hasn't your dream always been a golden shower? I mean, <laughs> we're, now we're getting into a whole lo- another level of um, uh, uh, confessions here, right, I'm speaking. Right. But it I is want- a fetish. Some people like that. That's yeah. true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we there's somebody who's got some videotape on somebody very important about that <laughs> in, um, in our uh, mm, uh, yes. current administration. administration. But anyway, my question to you was mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of t- tie it all together with like the vaginal rejuvenation, the labiaplasty, mm-hmm. the, the shaving, the embarrassment to talk about. In your experience, women want – women like – having sex just for pleasure mm-hmm. and and how's not and and sex to be pleasurable not just not painful right right, right. how do you like and approach that approach it mm-hmm. uh, encourage mm-hmm. um, let them get to that point mm-hmm. but be comfortable I was just curious yeah so I definitely believe that sex should be pleasurable 
pleasurable for both people. And part of the way that I explain it is that sex is selfish and selfless. It's like the most selfless, selfish thing you'll ever do because you are having sex because you care about your partner, you're giving to your partner, but by the same token, you want your partner to take care of you too. Right. And it's it goes both ways. So it's okay to be selfish because I feel like some women are like, oh, okay, he came and now it's over. And mm-hmm. oh well, no, he's, he's it doesn't he's have to be to that way. Sandwich you know? now. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that way. Or it doesn't have to be that way. Like it's a turn taking thing. And your pleasure is just as important because I see a lot of women for low libido. And I ask about orgasm. Do you reach orgasm? No. Does he try and help you reach orgasm? No. You know, and I just tell him it's okay if he does. Try. And I'm like, you got to get something out of this for you to want to have sex. If it's just like duty sex or you're like, oh, I know he needs it because he's a man. Your libido, you need to like... It suffers. You, yeah, it suffers, yeah. you know, because you're not really getting anything out of it. So I do think that sex should be pleasurable for both parties. That's the beauty of it. And if you're not getting what you need, then you need to figure out a way to let your partner know that your pleasure is important also. Okay, okay but mm-hmm. let's say let's say you've got a partner who's selfish. Doesn't matter what you say. Masturbation. Mm-hmm. Everybody does it. Does Everybody that does help... It. Uh, for for a female, uh, you know, a regular masturbation, does that help her sexual health? Yes, because every time you reach orgasm, you bring lots of blood flow to the vagina. Um, as far as, so, so what I think about masturbation is women do it, they just don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Men brag about it, they talk about it, they talk about it nonstop, but women, they don't talk about it, and we're sort of taught in our society, oh, that's bad, women mm-hmm. don't do that, you know, and that just drives me crazy, but women masturbate, so if you masturbate and you're feeling guilty about it, don't feel guilty, women do it, right, and it's right. absolutely okay to we masturbate, don't it feels you, good. We don't have to announce that the fact that, you know, we're having sex with ourselves five times a day like men do, you know, so I don't know, somehow <laughs> it's like, you know, I've done it five times today. Yeah. I came five times all by myself. You know, it's like really you're announcing to everybody that you had to you had to orgasm five times by yourself today. But but to think that there's actually health benefit to do that to mm-hmm. bring you that blood flow oh, yeah. into like okay now I'm like oh well maybe I need to go and <laughs> so actually there's other health benefits because when you reach orgasm your brain releases a flood of dopamine and dopamine is a neurotransmitter or protein that's in your brain that like makes you feel so good so it's that it's the same um, neurotransmitter that's released if you do heroin that euphoric feeling don't go do heroin because it's completely addicting but you know that that rush of dopamine makes you feel really good and so you get a huge benefit and and the other thing that happens when you reach orgasm is that you release oxytocin um, which is that bonding hormone. So it like brings couples close together. Mm. It makes you want to cuddle, you know, it's just like, oh, you know. So there's so many benefits to reaching orgasm, whether in a couple or even by yourself, just that good feeling. It helps relax you, you know, takes away some of the anxiety, some of the stress at the end of the day. So there's plenty of reasons to masturbate. And some people do it to help them fall asleep mm. or to relieve stress. Right. right. You know, we just, women don't talk about it. We, when we don't talk about it, but it's okay to talk about it. Absolutely. And, and here on Clearly Speaking, we will talk about that and a bunch of other things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, I just find that, you know, why, why should all the pleasure in our society be about the man? Mm-hmm. And we as women, 
as much as we, we love to have it. sex with men, right? We yeah. love to have sex with men, but and women out too. But mm-hmm. but it should be yeah. you should. We can celebrate our pleasure, right? Absolutely, yeah. 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 Well, on that note, this has been <laughs> tremendously pleasurable having you here, Dr. Lynn. And I know that we'll have you back. Definitely. Come back and talk to us. Absolutely come and back. Fabulous. This is so much fun. Thank and you. I, and I think that there are, you also have your own channels where you share information, right? I do. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about those before so, we leave. <clears throat> I have a YouTube channel. If you search Dr. Becky Lynn on YouTube, and basically I've created a just to provide education to patients, to other practitioners, because we really don't learn about sexual health as a medical student or a resident. So, you know, providers sometimes feel really ill-equipped to handle this. So, and I say a lot of the same things over and over again. So I decided to make videos so (laughs) patients could go home and watch them. And what happened was I really made them for my patients, but the partners watched them. Hmm. Absolutely, because they're, you know, a woman will come home and be like, the doctor said this. Here, look, look, you can watch her saying it, you know, that I'm totally normal. There's nothing wrong with me. This happens because of this. This, this is this. why I have Crisco in the bathroom. Exactly. I'm not crazy. <laughs> I have not. She did tell I, it's me. It's not early onset dementia. <laughs> I am not baking cookies. It's the, for a reason. I have the Crisco in the bathroom. Because Dr. Becky Lynn said it on her YouTube channel. That's right. Yeah. Um, And then I do um, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And I often post interesting articles that just have to do with sexual health. I also am a sexual counselor. So I like to post things about relationships because you really can't be a a sex doctor per se without addressing the relationship. So I, you know, post interesting articles just about dealing with long-term relationships or how to manage fights that spiral into oblivion, you know, just things not just related to the physiologic aspects of sexual function. I like to incorporate the relationship as well. So my Facebook is Women's um, Sex Health MD, and my Twitter is at Becky K, like kangaroo, Lynn. And we'll have Great. those links on our website. We, yeah, we will. And we will make sure to follow you and certainly share things along the way. Fantastic. So, thank you so much thank for joining for us. Oh, thank you really... so much for having me. This has been really great. We'll have you back Yay. soon because we yeah. always have questions. Cheers, right, cheers. everyone. Cheers. Thank you. There's the lush over here. Has, you know, <laughs> a half a sip left. <laughs>